Welcome to another episode of Civic Cipher. I am your host, Ramses Ja. Most people call me Q Ward, but it's really just because they don't feel like saying Quinton. Like that that special pronunciation of that O <laughs> gives people a lot of pause and they end up calling me Quentin. And that's not actually my name. So we just go with Q, but I won't, I won't get into that. Yes, indeed. We're going to call you Q around here because uh, we like to do things the right way. Um, yeah, another uh, episode for you lined up. Um, we're going to talk about what we can talk about today goings on in black america um unfortunately we won't be able to hit everything we already know that because it's been a busy week have you been keeping track of everything q i've been trying my best we 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 often talk to each other about the never-ending kind of flood of topics and content that we have for our show and this week like every other one before it did (laughs) not let us down Well, uh, we do have a few reasons for you to stick around. We are going to be talking about um, the incident in Michigan where a black real estate agent um, was showing a house to some potential homebuyers. And, um, you know, the police surrounded, guns drawn, put everybody in handcuffs, that sort of thing. So we're going to get into that. Also, we're going to talk about an instance in Ohio where a court sentenced two different women one black one white to two very different sentences for the same crime more or less we'll break that down for similar for similar, similar crimes. crimes one was very much worse but you know you, you know how that story goes but we're going to get into it in into more detail um and uh we can't wait to talk about the uncle tom way black history fact with dj swirl uh we missed out on that last week so we're going to do it this week um but first let's start the show off the way we like to that is with some ebony excellence is that all right with you cute absolutely all i do is win 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 no matter what okay so you know out of all the ebony excellence that we've done that we've celebrated we never talked about beyonce and jay-z that seems impossible. Yeah, man. But you know, this week, you know, they they made it into headlines, and so we're gonna we're gonna celebrate that ebony excellence. Uh, as it turns out, um, Beyonce revealed uh, to Harper's Bazaar magazine, right? She was actually on the cover uh, for next month. But she revealed that her and Jay Z are the new faces of Tiffany and Co. Uh, for those that are not familiar or not into jewelry or whatever, Tiffany and Co. is um, a very high very much a high-end jewelry company and very well known around the world um they advertise in magazines like harper's bazaar this all this stuff is all very fancy for me i'm not really into very high brow yeah yeah but for you know this to be a black woman as the face of this company um because this is an old company this company's from the early 1900s i believe is when they the name changed um and that's also part of the reason why the name Tiffany ended up becoming popular in the 80s. Tiffany and Co. had their role in that uh, very early on in, you know, uh, the 1900s. But I digress. Uh, yeah, Jay-Z and Beyonce are going to be the faces of that company. So that feels like an accomplishment. And of course, they just kind of embody ebony excellence. They don't really, I mean, we could do a whole show on Beyonce and Jay-Z and how, you know, they've managed to rise above that crabs in the bucket mentality that really persists in the black community in in some areas and you know really lean into their their own individuality and i really love that but for now we're just going to give them kudos uh for making 
I see the number $18 billion here. So Ooh. making a move with a company that's worth $18 billion. So again, I so wish we could cue shining from DJ Khaled right now featuring <laughs> Beyonce and Jay-Z. Hey, you know what? That'd be a great It just seems so appropriate right there. Um, but moving on, uh, I think it's time for us to talk about your home state. Uh, there's a city there called Wyoming in Michigan. Yes. How about that? Didn't know that. But um, I'll read a bit. Uh, this comes from CBS News. So the headline reads, Black real estate agent and his clients handcuffed at house viewing after neighbor wrongly reported break-in. Um, okay, so it says body camera footage on the August 1st incident shows police arriving at the home and telling the men to exit single file with their hands in the air. The real estate agent, his client, and his client's son all exit the house individually and walk across the lawn before they are handcuffed by officers. The footage captures the agent, Eric Brown, telling the officers that he's a realtor with Keller Williams Realty. The officers told Brown the house had recently been broken into and a neighbor called police because they believed the men were breaking in. After Brown shows the officers his realtor's license and the key to the home, the officers remove the men's handcuffs and release them. Q, you're from the D. You're from the motor. I'm, 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 I know that Detroit is probably very different from Wyoming, Michigan, but I've always known Detroit to be a place that was very maybe Afrocentric is a little too strong, but you know, black people don't have to be as concerned as perhaps in like the deep South, you know, there's a, there's a black community established there and people kind of maybe not get along better, but they understand that they're sharing this environment with folks who don't look like them. Um, so how does this hit you? So it's a lot different now. When I was growing up, when I was going to school, I um all of my classmates from pre-K to my senior year of high school were black. Like every one of them. And I don't just mean sitting in the classroom with me. I mean every person that I would see in the hallway um was black. The concentration of uh, black people that live in Detroit now is not as high as it was when I was a kid, but it's still higher than the medium. Like it's 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 a it's a black city, not in the, you know, high 90 percent like it was when I was younger, but still a place where black people tend to feel more comfortable because there are a lot of other black people there. Um, Wyoming, Michigan is not Detroit. Um, and, you know, shouts out to the mitten, my home state. But no, your your assumptions about Detroit are correct. You know, you know, growing up, you didn't have the heightened racial tension like you said that you would imagine in places like the deep south because your neighbors your teachers your police officers your um your firemen your doctor we're all black people your dentist we're all black people so yes you are correct on those points well the thing that troubles me a bit is you know, for this type of this situation actually reminds me of. Um, okay, I want to make sure I remember his name. It might be Michael Brown. But in any event, um, it reminds me of uh, 
a story that happened. It couldn't have been Michael Brown. Who was it? Oh, it always drives me crazy because I have to remember these names of people that I've never met. And the story is often very similar. Anyway, there's a story. Yeah, the trouble with the trouble with remembering the names is not because you haven't met these people. It's that there's too many names. That too. We have yeah. too many stories, I, too many examples to hold proper inventory of all of these people that are being slain and treated unjustly just because they look like you. Absolutely. Absolutely. But um, the story will sound familiar. And if the name comes to you, please let me know. So there is a young man. He's jogging through a neighborhood. Um, he ends up exploring an abandoned house, you know, just because it appears to be abandoned. Um, actually, it was a construction site. Um, he walks into the house. Some p people pull up in a pickup truck. Um, they, they start yelling at him to leave the house. He starts walking away or whatever. They end up shooting him in the street and he dies there. It's all on video. Um, Ahmaud Aubrey is his Ahmaud name. Ahmaud Aubrey. That's it. Mike Brown was Ferguson. Right. But um, Ahmaud Aubrey, it reminds me of that story because, again, a black person in the house. And I mentioned before on the show, and I've had this in, I've mentioned this in certain conversations where people say, you know, if the activity looks suspicious, then um, people have a right to investigate, right? Which, if left, left on its own, seems to be a very sensible argument to make. You know, hey, I don't know these people. They're in this property. Um, you know, the property's abandoned. And it feels a little bit funny. But I think the question I introduce into the narrative oftentimes is, why does it feel funny? Why does it feel like it shouldn't be happening? Because if you swap out a, just to pick a number, 21-year-old black male for a 21-year-old white female, the entire tone of this person's argument changes. Well, of course, you don't call the police on that sort of a person. Well, why not? Is it because that type of person doesn't steal? And, and now are we dealing with your prejudices? Because you, your assumption is that this person, because of the color of their skin, is in this house stealing. Could they not be exploring the property the same way that um, the white woman in your imagination does? You know, and, and this has always been a very personal thing to me because once upon a time, I built a house. You know, I saved all my little pennies working at my little radio station, and I built a house for my family. And while that house was being built, I was so inspired and so excited and energized by that that I would often go and visit and I would sit on the land and I would just be in my home, my future home, but I would be on my land that I purchased. You know, I would be there and just watch the development of my property. Um, now, where I, my house was built, it was way on the outskirts of town. So there wasn't a lot of folks, you know, paying attention you know, every house was being built, you know, and no one drives all the way out there to steal nothing. I mean, house roof tiles or whatever, you know, it didn't really make sense. But I remember being in that space, being inspired and, and fascinated by the build process. I'm not saying this is what was going through Ahmad uh, Aubrey's head or anything like that. But I do recognize that when you're able to see something that you don't get to see every day, it might be a little interesting, like a house as it's being built. Like, what, is, what goes inside of a wall? How does this work? I've never, you know, because normally most of us are accustomed to seeing whatever. So this is me perhaps giving Ahmad the benefit of the doubt. He obviously is no longer alive to tell his own version of the story, but this is the story I believe needs to be told um, alongside that question. Does the same 
um, uh, preconception uh, show up in your mind when the, the person who's jogging and visiting this house as it's being built is a white female, blonde-haired, 21-year-old, you know, whatever. So having been on, on a construction site before, having been being fascinated by the amount of drywall that it takes to outfit a house and the amount of lumber and all these sorts of things, um, I can easily see myself in that situation. I can easily imagine someone calling the police and me losing my life because, or calling whatever authorities they deem appropriate and me losing my life because I was curious, right? The same as this 26-year-old white or 21-year-old white female as we imagine. Um, but the tone is different because, you know, I'm black, Ahmad is black, and these realtors in this story are black, right? Then we have to take into account the police's response. Do the police show up, guns drawn, um, with their weapons trained on these human beings if they are white? We'll call them 65-year-old. No, don't call them 65. Or call, call them, them the whatever same. the age of these people. Sure, yeah, they could be just the same exact swap people. out that they're white. Don't, you don't have to make them old white people, just white. Well, I recognize that sometimes age factors into it because, you know, older black folks don't seem to get as much in the way of the the stereotypes, you know. Uh, that, I mean, they do, of course, but, I mean, there's probably an extra... 10% that's added on when you're younger, especially a male, right? Um, you know, just there's these, these criminal things that are associated with you based on your age and based on your sex that are, that are just beyond your race by itself. But, yeah, but in order for a person's implicit biases to switch, mm -hmm. the people in the story, in, in our example have, of being pulled exactly over in the, the Porsche... Fair point. Of our example of being pulled over in the Porsche and the example of this realtor showing this house. Sure. They have if to the be people exactly were the same. just white. Well, they don't have to be exactly the same, but I'm just saying if the people were just white, it would be different. We don't have to age them to make them more innocent and more right. sweet. Very good. If okay. those we'll if take it was that. two people our age driving that Porsche, the response is different. It's if they're different white. Entirely. And yes. so um, if you imagine that this realtor and the, the gentleman who was viewing the house and his child um, were white. Do the police show up guns drawn? Do the police even get called in the first place? And I think that it's there that we find that sort of Karen. And I think the other word when it's a male is a Kevin. But that Karen and Kevin behavior where anything black is criminal anything white even if i'm not familiar with this person with this face if it's white it's right and if it's black attack i just coined that i want my royalties um but i think that it's in that space where we can really do a lot of work um with ourselves you know and and you know i'm i'm talking about allies of black people and brown people and native people and people that are typically associated with, you know, more negative stereotypes. Because once someone, ha if, if a Karen starts crying, you know, then the, the ready assumption is that she has been wronged and that she needs to be made whole, right? 
and and it's very much unfair to people who have not wronged her who happen to be nearby and maybe are at odds with her or him if it's a kevin <laughs> um and you know you start off that with a disadvantage what happens is you know we saw a couple of weeks ago in the in a jewelry store or sorry a, a makeup store where a woman was clearly wrong a white woman clearly wrong and mistreating a black woman in the store and she didn't like the idea of being filmed so she started crying as she was throwing her temper tantrum she started crying while she's throwing the tantrum and then immediately everyone started to look at her as though she had been wronged even though it was clearly on video that she was the one doing the wrong and they were saying no get out of here stop filming her blah 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 this sort of behavior and that feels very unfair you know there's this narrative that exists in the black community that says that you have to be twice as good to be um to to be to make it half as far or something like that you know it's, it's there's different ways of saying that same of expressing that same concept um and and i think that if you take that the the the, the premise and you apply it to matters of you know who's right and wrong or, or conflict especially in a public space you know you have to be very mindful of like your dignity is the first thing that goes out of the window it doesn't matter if you're right wrong or whatever if you're at odds with someone who is has no melanin you know it's it's very easy for them to manipulate the optics and the dynamics you know someone can easily say i'm going to call the police and then we know that the police show up and serve their interests, even if they're wrong. They can be dead wrong, but the police come, they show, they give them the respect, they, they listen to the whole story. And then even if they're wrong, you know, the energy that they bring to our side, our side meaning perhaps the more melanated person in the equation, um, oftentimes feels accusatory um, and it feels biased against us. Um, and so, for a person to make a phone call like this, um, not really weighing the consequences of what the, what the phone call could hold for this for these people, because if the police show up with their guns out, that that's not let let's check on this and make sure everything's okay. They they're like they're showing up thinking that the people inside this house either are wanting to kill me. Or they're wanting to kill someone in the house. Like it's a life and death situation. That's why, in theory, police are supposed to bring their guns out. Now we know that police often bring their guns out just because someone's black and close enough, right? But I think that these Karens might know that as well, and often use it against us to intimidate us. Um, you know, maybe not everyone wants us to die, but this is the way that we see this Karen behavior deployed in society over and over again. And oftentimes, it does end up with someone being hurt or you know, being killed. We've seen that plenty of times as well. A lot of the stories that we don't get to talk about today, there's a story about a, a, a security guard who executed a man at a gas station. I think it might've been in Georgia. He was playing his music too loud. The black man said, hey, listen, let's talk about this like men. And the officer was afraid of that, so, or not the officer, the security guard was afraid of that somehow, shot the man in his chest. He died on video and then, you know, lost his life. Now, fortunately for that story, and the reason why we didn't include it in today's episode is because the security guard was um, arrested on 
uh, I think it was a murder charge. It might have been a manslaughter charge. But because there's some accountability there, it feels like uh, it's unfair, but at least people are doing something about it. In this instance, this feels like a common occurrence among at least a, a common story in my life, you know, where if if I had not been black, but in the same situation or the same predicament, there would have been no need to investigate. There would have been no need to escalate it to involve authorities or anything like that. Or if somebody would have just asked me, um, everything would have been fine. And because this is such a relatable thing, I believe that most all black and brown uh, peoples can attest to that happening at some point in their life. You know, had I, had I not been black, it might not have happened or it might not have been so severe. You know, I will, I will cede the point that, you know, if someone strange is snooping around in an abandoned house, um, you know, you might call someone to have them investigate. But what I will also say is I don't believe that if these people are white, that that call is as likely. But I, I definitely don't believe the police show up with guns out ready to end a life. Um, that feels like a very, very black experience. And these are the stories that we need to tell as often as we can to educate not only ourselves as black people, but to educate our brothers and sisters who are allies, our white brothers and sisters, our Asian brothers and sisters, our you know native brothers and sisters, our Hispanic brothers and sisters, and on and on and on. Um, so that this doesn't feel like a series of isolated incidents. This is a common experience. Um, and it's, it takes these articles like this Yahoo article that we're reading right now, or sorry, CBS article that we're reading right now to really bring that to the forefront so that everyone understands it. Now I do want to, um, uh, offer a quote from the, uh, the police department because, you know, we can't just tell one side of the story. Um, and it is that, uh, okay, it's right here. The department said a man was previously arrested for unlawful entry into the home on July 24th. And the 911 caller told police the same man had returned uh, when they called the police on August 1st, which is when these people were handcuffed and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Now, Q, as a father, now we mentioned that, the man who was house shopping, the, the, the home hunter, he was with his child. As a father, how do you think that this impacts the child in that equation? I'm going to get there, but I have to back up first. You spoke about a, a bunch of things that I have to kind of offer some commentary on. We keep using the term abandoned home. Okay. This realtor was showing this house. I'm sure he's not the only realtor that showed that house to one person. Sure. Right. So the idea that there was some trespasser at this abandoned property, it even sounds more criminal than a home that had not been sold yet, had a realtor and a potential buyer in it. Um, and even the idea of curiosity being punished by murder is crazy, even if it's not curiosity, even if he is breaking into this, let's call it abandoned home and stealing roof tile or drywall or paint. Murder should not be the outcome uh, gun drawn even right if my neighbor was just mad at me and called the police and told them i broke in the police should have to do some investigation first before their guns are drawn and they're ready to shoot someone um, as far as the son that's involved in this situation 
I remember growing up and, and being asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? And not for me personally, or actually for me personally, because my father's brother and my mother's brother were both police officers. But for kids, firemen, police officer, astronaut, these are the type of answers you give because police are painted as heroes and they are there to protect and serve the community. That's what you think. Often that narrative is not changed by parents or teachers or movies even. It's changed by interaction with police officers. Mm. And this teenager will forever be traumatized by the time him and his father went looking to purchase a home and were held at gunpoint and handcuffed by police officers simply because they look the way they look. That's it. You know what? And it's, and, and it's not like we don't know these potential outcomes. Like once upon a time, we didn't have all this video. We didn't have all this evidence. So it was just our story. But now when people call that number and they call the police, they know the possible outcome. So they don't have that plausible deniability anymore. Well, well said, my friend. That's the world we live in, unfortunately. But it's getting better. And now... If you're just tuning in to Civic Cipher, I'm your host Ramses Ja. They call me Q Ward, and sometimes Ramses thinks I don't have as positive an outlook on us getting better <laughs> as he does. Maybe he's right. Well, uh,. There's only one way for all of us to go as brothers and sisters who share this planet. That's my philosophy. Anyway, to that end, stick around because uh, we are going to be talking about a court that sentences unfairly black and white people. Um, we have a living, breathing example of that. Uh, we're also going to talk about Uncle Tom. We're going to educate you on what Uncle Tom means, the term, where it comes from, and who Uncle Tom was. Um, and right now, I think we're going to talk about ways to become a better ally. So with that said, let's get into it. Q. Yes, sir. Did you know that August is Black Business Month? I did not know that. I'll be honest. That's something that I learned recently as well. But because we have a radio show. And because we can empower our allies to become better allies and because it is a part of our responsibility to be reasonably informed and to inform other folks. Um, I think that what we're going to do with this Baba segment is we're going to tell everybody to get out there and support black business. It seems like a given, but this month in particular, um, there's a lot more surrounding that, you know, a lot more optics a lot more people paying attention a lot more metrics and so forth um and you know anytime there's a month dedicated to celebrating and uplifting uh underserved business owners and dedicated to realizing the importance of black and brown businesses to the local communities and to the national economy um it's certainly worth a mention um now supporting these businesses doesn't just mean financially of course that is paramount but you know if you find black businesses on your social media likes follows kind words 
any form of online support that really does go a long way if fiscally you're you know tapped out we know it's not as easy for everyone to uh spend their money um if it's not as as convenient as like say a walmart um but also encouraging patronage encourage your friends to you know dedicate their financial support um and just you know blow the business up you know we we recognize that a little bit of support goes a long way, especially in black and brown communities. And so that is how you can become a better ally. Um, and that's our, our tip for the week. So, yeah. Moving on, let's talk about what happened in Ohio. So I want to read this because I think that this kind of tells the story better than I could. So this is from Yahoo. So the, the headline reads, Ohio court sentences black woman to 18 months in prison the day after giving white woman probation for same crime. Um, now, this is a lot. So bear with me here. That's um, on loaded, August, by the way. Say again? That headline is loaded. Yeah, man. That's why I need to read it just to kind of flesh it all out. So um, on August 2nd, uh, former Shangren Falls, Ohio Village clerk Debbie Bosworth pleaded no contest to 22 counts of theft in office, tampering with records and money laundering after auditors discovered she had embezzled more than $238,000 over the span of 20 years. Remember those numbers, $238,000 and 20 years. The Cuyahoga County Prosecutor's Office rejected the 53-year-old Bosworth's plea and asked the judge to sentence her to prison even though she wrote a check for $100,000 to repay part of her debt when her scheme was uncovered. But Bosworth a, is white as is Cuyahoga County Common Pleas Court Judge Holly Gallagher. The very next day, Assistant Cuyahoga County Cuyahoga. Prosecutor... Cuyahoga. Jesus, I can't say this. Cuyahoga. Cuyahoga. Thank you, Q. County Prosecutor James Gutierrez, the same assistant district attorney who prosecuted Bosworth recommended a prison sentence for 51 year old former school secretary. Um, where's her name? Hopkins is her name uh, from Maple Heights High School. Although Hopkins appeared before the exact same court, Hopkins judge was a white man. Cuyahoga County Common Pleas Court. Rick Bell. Unlike Bosworth, Gallagher pleaded guilty. Unlike Bosworth, Hopkins was only charged with one count of theft in office. Unlike Bosworth, Hopkins had already found a new job, completed an inpatient program for her gambling addiction, and had promised to repay the money she stole. Neither judge could comment on their sentences, but Cleveland's, Cleveland activists immediately decried the disparity in the two sentences. The white woman committed more crimes over a longer period of time. She stole more money than the black woman. She had 21 more charges and cost taxpayers six times more money. She was facing 60 years in prison while the black woman's maximum sentence was three years. Yet the black woman received more prison time than prosecutors wanted her to spend in jail. So let's talk about that. I spoke about implicit biases earlier. Okay. Uh, and just for our listeners, implicit biases are, are oftentimes prejudices that we have against different subgroups that are kind of built in and unconscious. They're subconscious prejudices that developed throughout our lives um, that oftentimes are not front of mind. However, it is possible to have implicit bias 
and to be uh, overtly racist at the same time. Okay, tell me what you mean. In this case, the white woman not only stole more money, had far more charges, had a much greater maximum sentence. Potential maximum and, sentence. Yes, and in both cases, jail time was recommended. Not only does the black woman with lesser charges for less money have more jail time than the white woman, she has jail time. The white woman does not. And the headline says probation versus jail time for the same crime. But it would be like me and someone else both being charged for murder, except that person is being accused of killing one person and I am being accused of killing 20. And and I get probation and that person gets life in prison. Now, in this case, it's hard to imagine because you guys that are listening, I'm guessing know that I'm not white. Um, but make it, you know, John Doe and his brother Jack. Uh, you know, or John and Jack Doe, one's black, one's white. Um, there's grossly more reasons, right, on paper to convict and send to prison one of these people. The opposite person is the one that get that, that actually got sentenced with the district attorney um, suggesting jail time for both. The reasons why are very flagrant, and I'm guessing that's why there's no comment um, on how the judges ruled in these cases. Sure. There's a there's actually pictures of the women on the story, and. Um, if you're looking at the pictures and if you're listening to this show, the reasons why and why not are pretty glaring and pretty obvious. So we know that oftentimes race rather than culpability shapes outcomes with respect to the criminal justice system. Not only do we know that, but it's documented, well documented, that um, black people overwhelmingly receive harsher sentences for the same crimes when compared to our white brothers and sisters. Um, and, you know, a lot of folks uh, like us especially have grown up with those statistics. We know that to be true, which is why we have to be work twice as hard to be half as good. This is part of the reason why I think you and I can say that we've never done a drug in our life because we know you know if even if I wanted to experiment with that the consequences for me are very different for the consequences of the rest of the people that I go to high school with um and so there's that but rarely do we get the same court the same you know exact crime and the day after you know the that day after that doesn't feel as commonplace you know, I remember reading something a while ago, um, and it was about um, cocaine versus crack. Um, now, crack typically is associated with a poorer sort. Um, cocaine is a purer drug. Um, crack it takes 
chemicals and you know all this sort of stuff to make it into crack and basically you take i'm not trying to give anyone a lesson but just so you understand how this is how this comes about you take cocaine and then you turn it into lots of crack is my understanding of the way that works you know i listen to rap music so i got a little bit of that you know that's that's just how it is you know in a lot of really poor black communities that's a a really you know, uh, that's one of the pillars of the, you know, economic system of at least some of the folks who can ascend beyond the poverty level. That's one way of getting out. Although that, that or what did Biggie say? You either sling and crack rock or you got a wicked jump shot. So that unfortunately is the reality in a lot of places around this country. So um, that's how I know that. But when you think about it, um, the, the sentencing, and this was, this was part of the article I read, the sentencing for crimes associated with crack cocaine were um, twice as harsh as those associated for cocaine because cocaine and, and to piggyback on what you're saying Ramses because you said chemical and made it sound more complicated imagine the charges for having water being different for the charges for having ice well said. it's almost that literal it's yeah. a powder form of the substance versus a rock form of the same substance right I don't want people to think that, oh, so there was chemicals added, so that made it worse or no, 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 no. The poor people have access to ice. The more wealthy people have access to water. Right. And having ice is far more criminal than having water. And so the, even though uh, the substance is the same, same and it, chemically. And it, so I think what I was saying is there's a chemical process that turns it from a powder form to a you probably know I, I don't know maybe our listeners know because fortunately we didn't have to grow up too deep in the deep end um of all that but to everyone who has no judgments here that's not what this place is for um but i think the point we're making is that for the criminal justice system to look at the water and the ice in this in this um uh, analogy and say well this one is associated with black people with poor people because a lot of times wealth also shapes outcomes rather than culpability yes indeed poor people because there I've, I've known a few white crackheads in my day too and it if it's it affects human beings the same across the board you know it doesn't matter what color you are but um you know crimes asso associated with this form of this drug are they carry double or often or sometimes even more um, in the way of punishment versus with this one. It's like the equivalent to a slap on the wrist, if that. And we we know plenty of stories where if it's the right person and they have the right, you know, you know, my dad is such and such or, you know, I come from this family or whatever. And I was just having a good time with my friends. It's really nothing. It's a small amount. OK, well, you're not supposed to have this going about your business. Um and then, you know, I know stories personally of people actually, of police officers actually planting um, evidence on people um, that granted the stories were from my childhood. But, you know, I, I very much believe them to be true because, you know, that's I mean, I have no I have every reason to trust, you know, people I'm related to. And no, re I've never really been given a reason to trust the police. And, and, you know, to piggyback off of what we said earlier in the show. You know, the police in my life have always positioned themselves more often as the bad guys than the good guys. And I recognize in a much broader sense that, you know, that's who you turn to, not who I personally turn to, but that's who 
society turns to when there uh, is needs to be a resolution to some harm that's taken place or whatever. But, um, you know, they, they, they would probably be fourth or fifth on a list of folks that I would call personally. But just kind of knowing that it kind of feels like um, the odds are stacked against us at every conceivable point, you know, um, that even if you end up on the wrong side of the law, on the wrong side of the criminal justice system, there's a million reasons for that, you know, potentially, you know, for any, any one person. Some people, I will be the first to admit, they're just bad people. Bad people come in all colors. Some people are just willing to ignore the rules in place in a society and they want the shortcut. I will see that um, as well. But some people recognize that their options are limited um, or otherwise they're groomed in the lifestyle because of circumstances, invisible circumstances that exist in a, in a country and in a, in a government and, and, and so forth around them that compel them in a, in a given direction. And I recognize that a lot. And so this is why I tend to be pretty empathetic with people, even if they do end up on the wrong side of the law. Um, because I understand that oftentimes there are stories that, you know, no one is born and says, you know what I want to do when I grow up? I want to be a criminal. And I want to, you know, I want to be at odds with the way the world works, you know, and the way, you know, I, most people are, you know, um, and I'm sure if you asked anyone uh, if they could do what they're, if they could earn what they needed to earn and do something that's a little bit less dangerous that most folks would say absolutely i don't think people wake up and like yeah that's another day of getting out here and doing all this crazy stuff with that said um to know that you know oftentimes people will end up on you know the the wrong side of the criminal justice system you would think that you know what i might be able to get in front of a, a judge and say you know i was born in this environment I had to take care of my family. I had to do what I had to do. This just seemed like a way to introduce some mobility. This wasn't a long-term thing for me, blah, blah, blah. You know, you, I, I'll be able to say that in, in front of a judge, another human being who hopefully has a bit of compassion and will understand that this is not me. This is just what I did at that time, right? There's a lot of people of all colors who have that story in their life. Some people get caught and they have to account for it and some people don't I'm, I'll be the first to admit I'm not perfect you know um, it's victimless crime and it was a million years ago but you know there's everybody that has those sorts of stories in their life um, fortunately I never had to talk about that in front of a, a judge but at this age in my life I recognize that if I did you know two things might count against me one um, the fact that I have a little bit more melanin in my body and so that tends to weigh on the judge's decision, but also the nature of the crime, which in this case, um, or the example we're using, uh, has to do with, you know, ice and water or cocaine versus crack. And that the sentencing criteria is vastly different for a person who has um, been in the possession of crack cocaine because it's typically associated with black people and poor people. And that feels very unfair. So knowing that 
you already know that going into a courtroom, you're at a bit of a disadvantage. But rarely, as I stated before, do we have an opportunity to see the same crime. And really the only difference is that one person is white and one person is black. And as you stated, one person who did way worse stuff gets probation. And of course, the black person gets prison time for the same. And, and you know, I, I want to read that part again where she says um, the where did it go? She says that she the white woman committed more crimes over a longer period of time. She stole more money. She had 21 more charges and cost taxpayers six times more money. And then the black woman, uh, she found a new job completed an inpatient programming for her gambling addiction and made a promise to repay the money that she stole. So all of those things feel like, and she still got sentenced to prison time with a, with a promise to repay a new job. She's like, I've turned over a new leaf while well, you're going to prison. Nobody gets away scot-free, which is fair. I'm not saying that the black woman shouldn't have been sentenced. If she did the crime, you know, there should be consequences for that. I'll be the first to admit that. But what we're seeing is that the criminal justice system really, you, you really do have an advantage when you are less melanated. You know, people talk about white privilege. People talk about, you know, um, you know, people think a lot of these things are imagined. Like we're just making this stuff up and, you know, it's it's up to us and it's up to shows like Civic Cipher to point out the fact that these things are not imaginary. These things are very real. Not only is there data, we have literally a real world example of it happening. You can go to Yahoo and type in the story and it'll come up and you can read it for yourself. Um, and and once again, that that headline and us, we keep saying same crime. It's not <laughs> yeah. the person that's not going to prison did way more yeah. wrong. Exactly. Way more. And, you know, I want to I want to read this quote because um, I think this kind of helps tell a, a, a slightly different part of the story. Um, so the quote is, I think it reinforces the lack of trust in the justice system, said Danielle Sidnor, president of Cleveland's NAACP chapter. The quote, these types of things are the way the system was designed. And they will continue to happen if we don't have large scale reform. End quote. Um, and I think that when she talks about the lack of trust in the system, that feels very personal to me. I, I've shared before on the show um, that I have a brother. My brother, uh, in brief, my brother, a long time ago, he got the new Escalade when it came out with the big square headlights. So this was 2000 and shoot, I don't even know, 2004, two, like whenever 2003, those 2004. Somewhere in there. Somewhere right? in there. Um, so he had a new truck in California and what happens when you in California is there's a lot of carjackings, you know, people that live outside of California may not know that our folks in San Diego, I'm sure they know that very well. Um, so he ended up as his, his constitutional right, procuring a, a weapon to protect himself. Right. Um, now what happens is a lot of times at that point, people start thinking, okay, black man, gun, criminal, right? This is my brother, promise he's not a criminal. We were both raised by the same man, the same minister. You know, he just has a little bit more, he's a little bit more comfortable with protecting himself with, with guns. And I, I just can't find that in me. Anyway, um, one night he's at a, an apartment complex um, and some folks were messing with his girlfriend, now his wife. Um, and, uh, he 
took his gun out, shot it in the air a couple of times. It's on video, right? Shooting in the air. Um, he ended up getting arrested for that. They tried him for attempted murder and they gave him a plea deal. And he took the plea deal because it was a few years less than his sentence could have been because somehow they decided that they weren't able to introduce that tape to the court as evidence. Um, it felt very deliberate and we lost a decade and a half or however long it was of my brother's life because of that. Um, and it doesn't feel like the same thing would have happened had my brother not been a black man. That it wasn't attempted murder. He was shooting in the air. The guys ran off. No one was hurt. There was literally no bloodshed, no harm had, nothing like that. Um, and so that's the criminal justice system that I know um, that I've that has affected my family. Um, this story checks out with the statistics that I know to be true that the criminal justice system, un, you know, unfairly treats black and brown folks. And now you, the listener. Um, if you did not know that before, hopefully you have a little bit of insight into what that must be like. Um, again, not saying the black woman should not have been sentenced, but um, that white privilege really does stick out right there in that example. So, moving on, let's take it back one time if you don't mind. DJ Swirl, you with me? Yes, sir. All right. Uh, this week, the way Black History Fact was on deck last week, but as you said, we didn't make it to it, but we were talking about Uncle Tom. And most people have heard or used the term Uncle Tom when we refer to a sellout. But did you know the inference is totally wrong? The real Uncle Tom, Josiah Henson, was a hero and abolitionist who helped slaves escape, among other great things. Born June 15, 1789, he was an American laborer and clergyman who escaped slavery in 1830 and found refuge in Canada, where he became the driving force behind the Dawn Settlement, a model community for former slaves. He was also involved in the Underground Railroad and has served as a model for the, the title character in Harriet Beecher Stowe's novel, Uncle Tom's Cabin. In Canada, Henson became a leader among the growing number of fugitive slaves. The Dawn Settlement, its goal was to employ and educate former slaves, and a focal point of the settlement was the British American Institute, an industrial school. To secure financial backing for the community, Henson made a number of trips to the United States and Great Britain. In 1851, he was granted a personal audience with Queen Victoria. Henson's autobiography, The Life of Josiah Henson, was published in 1849. It was subsequently reprinted under a variety of titles. Stowe cited the work among her sources for Uncle Tom's Cabin. On what would have been his 100th birthday in 1983, Henson became the first black person to be featured on a Canadian postage stamp. And that comes from Britannica.com. Uncle Tom. Who knew? That, I mean, we could have really, I mean, shout out to Beyonce and Jay-Z. Those, those were our Ebony Excellence picks for the week. Um, but man, we could have put Uncle Tom in there. How funny would that have sounded? Uh, initially, I think it would have got a chuckle, but um, <laughs> all of us are now more enlightened having heard the story of Uncle Tom. So for those who are uninitiated, um, I think Dave Chappelle said it best. Uncle Tom is a serious accusation in the black community. I think that's a direct quote from him. 
And he is not lying about that. Um, Uncle Tom, for those that don't know, means a black person who is not about black people or a black agenda. Um, Think of it like if you saw the movie Django Unchained with Jamie Foxx and Samuel L. Jackson and Leo DiCaprio, which is a movie I recommend. It's a dope movie. Um, The Uncle Tom character would be Samuel L. Jackson's character, right? Correct. Um, And for those who haven't seen the movie, uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character in the movie, he serves the interests of the master of a slave plantation, of a cotton plantation where slaves are, I guess employed is not the right word, but slaves are held. Um, he's the the person where whatever the master says he does, he's the most reliable, the most trustworthy to the master, and he would sell out the black slaves in a heartbeat. In fact, he doesn't even identify himself as a slave because he has a slightly uh, more... Um, What's the word? Elevated position. Elevated position. That's it. Perfect. Um, than the rest of them. And it's interesting how that works in human psychology because that's something that's true. We see that in the Republican Party. You know, as long as I'm doing a little bit better than them, I'll keep voting this way. You know, um, even if everything about it is wrong. You know, I, as long as I can see this one thing that I'm doing a little bit better than they are, you know. And so that's I think that's a function of human psychology. But. In the black community, this Uncle Tom accusation means that you are not about your people, that you are not happy to be who you are, that, you know, whatever. And it's very easy to, to brush up against it as a black person because, um, you know, we share the world with our white brothers and sisters and, and everyone. We share the world with everyone. We share the planet with animals and trees and, you know, everything else, too. Um, and because as a whole, black people have been very much harmed, not just in America, but all over the world by white interests, by corporate interests, you know, we've, we've been at the, really at the tail end of, you know, consideration of how, what are the human implications and human costs of folks' actions or decisions or inactions or whatever. Um, oftentimes black people get the, the worst of it. Um, black people are particularly sensitive to perhaps other black people also um, taking away from them or profiting from them in a way that is not reciprocal um, or otherwise serving the interest of, quote unquote, the white massa. Um, And so this is something that we tend to try to avoid. We try to stay away from it. You know, it, it affects, you know, of course, our work life. It affects you know, uh, it well, it doesn't affect it, but it is something that black folks sometimes have to consider um, with romantic relationships. You know, if you're dating someone outside of your race, you know, you know, that's something that you have to come up with. You know, if you're a black person and, you know, you happen to fall in love with someone who doesn't look like you, you know, there's something to be said about that as well. And so um, white folks aren't the only folks who have to be mindful of how hurt black people are. Black people also have to be 
mindful of how hurt black people are and how certain actions and things affect or look to the black community. And one of the things that we try to avoid um, when, you know, plotting our course through life is, does this make me look like an Uncle Tom? And holding a space like we do, you know, um, we particularly have to be sensitive to that because, you know, there are some people who really want this show to be a very fiery show where we, it's like an us versus them. And of course, we've all decided that this show cannot be that. It will never be that. That's inconsistent with who we are as men. Um, and we choose to see the world as though we share this planet with our brothers and sisters. Um, and, you know, our brothers and sisters don't look like us. They don't have the same experience as us. And if we have an opportunity to educate them, then we should. And hopefully, um, you know, we'll grow together in our relationship with each other and find out a way to really make the most of our time together on this planet. Um, so, yeah, Uncle Tom. I'm, I'm better for knowing that story, <laughs> even though I don't think it's going to change the context and the meaning of people using that term moving forward. No, not at all. I just I knew you didn't want to say anything. So I just, <laughs> I just left you off. I didn't know what I was supposed to say. I don't know why you did that. No, no, but, no. Hey. I, I knew you did. I, I knew I, I thought you might have. It wasn't that I didn't want to say anything. I just didn't know that there was anything more to say. No, that's fair. That's fair. Anyway, um, I think that'll do it for us today on Civic Cipher. So once again, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. They call me Q Ward. Um, show produced by producer DJ Swirl. Um, and, oh, I did want to mention that there's a couple of things that we didn't get to this week that we want to get to next week. Not the least of which is the, um, I want to really uh, get into the story where the, um, the critical race theory uh, teachings, uh, now the teachers are being fined. And then there's another story about the police now able to sue protesters. Uh, but we'll get into that uh, next week. Uh, until then, please plug in with the show. We are on the internet. Hit civiccipher.com. We're on all social me media at civiccipher. And, of course, you can download this and all previous episodes at civiccipher.com. And if you can, make a donation. It really helps the show grow. And I think that'll do it for us. So until next week, y'all. Peace. Stepping the borders with press passes, we bring it to you as it happens. The streets love my crew for music and rapping. Street commander slash beat expander, here to fight the slander.